Yes, and amen. Good morning to you. We are so very glad to have you with us today, and I was so grateful for Cheryl's singing. You know, I love it when people step out of their comfort zone and when people have courage, and that was both. And so, Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing with us Made Our Day. Of course, there's something else that made my day. I heard a voice crying in the wilderness, and it said, Amen. I said, I know that amen. That's Brent Holloway. And so we are so glad you're here, brother. Sure did. I knew exactly who that was. And wow, it's just great to have you with us here this morning. So here we are. Yeah, we're in like week number three or four of our, our series about Can Will God Bless America? And again, to make sure you're, you've got that, the can part depends on our, our willingness to cooperate with God and repent uh, where it's necessary. And then the will is God's sovereignty. You know, God does what God does because, well, um, he is God. And so we want to talk today about congestive heart failure, congestive heart failure. You know, I get lots of calls. Y'all, y'all know this, you know, and I'll get a call and says, um, hey, my cousin, my brother, my mom um, has congestive heart failure and they've taken him to uh, the hospital. They've flight fly them to, to um, Deaconess or, or to St. Louis. And I get on the phone, you know, would you make a call out? Yes. And I get on the phone and here's, you know, hi, this is Brother Dwayne. And um, hey, for Warriors, we've got a prayer request from so-and-so. And uh, they're having congestive heart failure. Would you pause what you're doing right now and pray for them? And we do that over and over again. And you might wonder, well, what is congestive heart failure? And how does that tie in with us. And I'm glad you asked that very question. So what is congestive heart failure? Well, congestive heart failure doesn't mean your heart has stopped working. That's the good news because normally they call that cardiac arrest code blue. And if you happen to be in the right place at the right time and there's someone there who can do CPR or some other measure, then you, then you have a chance of surviving. But if not, then you don't. You die. And so, um, yeah, so the good news is uh, congestive heart failure. Today, what we're talking about, our heart has not stopped working, but it does mean congestive heart failure means um, its effectiveness is greatly diminished, restricting the effectiveness of the heart muscle. In other words, the heart simply can't do what the heart was designed to do. The purpose of the heart is to pump the blood, the oxygenated blood, to our body. And, of course, that same pressure brings it back to the lungs to be reoxygenated and, again, distributed. But when there's, when there's heart failure or congestive heart failure, then the effectiveness of the heart is greatly diminished. Well, the good news is we want to talk about the church today. Actually, we want to talk about us today. Um, and the good news is we have not had cardiac arrest. The good news is, spiritually, um, if you've trusted Christ, you're not dead. And nor do I believe is the church dead. We have not experienced cardiac arrest. But I do believe, let me pause there. I do believe that the church is experiencing congestive heart failure. I think the church is in a place where it largely has lost its effectiveness And we no longer can do what God designed us to do. And that, of course, is to carry the gospel to a darkened culture and to a darkened world. And we have lost 
our effectiveness. And we want to talk about um, exactly that today. You see, have you ever wondered... Um, how does the church, you know, we, we see somebody that's not feeling well, and particularly if their heart's not working well, and we'll say, you know, you just don't look good. You look kind of gray, blue around the lips, you know. You just, you just don't look good. Have you ever wondered what the church what sees when it sees us? Have you ever wondered what the, I'm sorry, what the culture sees when it looks at us? You know, let me tell you. Now, I need to warn you, this is painful, okay? Um, but, you know, remember when I talked to the senior adults not too long ago, and I started the message out by saying, y'all need to understand something. I am one of you. Then January, I'll be 70 years old, and I think by any measure of standard, that qualifies as a senior adult. So I kind of gave them a, hey, I'm, I'm one of you guys talking to, to, to my peers. Well, I want you to understand before I say any of these hard words I'm fixing to say is that I'm with you. I'm a member of the, I'm a member of the, um, the Church of God. Okay, the big church, but I'm also a member here at Dorsville. And this isn't really particularly about Dorsville as much as about the church as a whole. But I need to say a couple of harsh words. I know because when they're said to me, it's very painful. And the first one is that word that none of us likes to hear, and that is the word hypocrite. Hypocrite. When someone says to you, you're nothing but a hypocrite, it just cuts us to the bone, doesn't it? doesn't it? Well, you need to understand that the culture as a whole sees the church as a meeting group of hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite doesn't mean you're a sinner because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So a hypocrite is not simply a sinner, but someone who says one thing and does another. It's someone, you know, people say, well, I can't go to church because that would be a hypocrite. No, no, no. No one calls you a hypocrite when you're sick and you go to the hospital. A church, is, a church is not where good people go. The church is where people who are sinners and know they're sinners go to hear and learn about God's redemptive grace. Okay? So, so that has nothing to do with it. But, but a person who says, you know, I, you, you know, the Bible says we shouldn't lie and I will never lie. And then they turn around and lie. That's being a hypocrite. And when the Bible says we're supposed to love one another and I love you and then you don't, that's being a hypocrite. The word hypocrite means to wear the mask, to wear the mask. And so when, the, when culture looks at us, they're, they're seeing the church sending one message and then they see our actions and they don't line up. And so they say, that's just hypocritical. Now you say, well, they shouldn't be judging us. I agree, but we judge them. We judge them. In fact, you know, it's really kind of funny. You know, the world just acts like the world. I mean, that's what they're supposed They're lost, and so they're just acting like lost people. The crazy part is the church isn't acting like Jesus. That's really crazy, okay? So that's the first hard word. And the second hard word is judgmental. They see us as a bunch of people who like to get together and judge them. Judge them, okay? And again, that may or may not be true, but we've got to be careful. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? You know, invariably, this is a... I'm going to give you a caveat out today. Invariably, we'll see some people this afternoon at our big back-to-school bash, you know, and someone will say these words, yeah, well, they're just users. They're just here for the free stuff. And that might be true, 
but it's very judgmental. So don't say it this afternoon. Because everybody's heard the sermon now. And they're going to go, did you listen this morning? Did you listen? You know, so, but the world, the world sees us as, again, we're better than they are. And so we judge them. Okay? So you just need to know that's kind of what the world looks at you know, when they see that. And then they see the, the, the third one is not as harsh, but it's still a hard word. And that's the word ineffective. In other words, they look at our lives, and our lives are just not a whole lot different from their lives. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but that means morality-wise, but, but more than that, it means relational. You know, they, they, they again, you know, Jesus, you remember what Jesus said in John 13? He said, listen, a new command I give you, that you love one another, and the world's going to know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. And they, and they look at the church, and they hear what's said at McDonald's, and they hear what's said down at the barbecue barn, and they hear what they're saying. They're going, you guys are no different than us. I mean, you may not have bar fights, but there's really no difference. There's no difference. And, and they, you talk about how Jesus changes your life, and I'm looking at your life, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of change going on. I'm just telling you what the world says. They see all of this, and they don't want what we got. They see all of this, and they don't want what we've got. And that's why I said we've lost, we're losing our ability to be effective for what we were designed to be, and that's to be the light of the gospel in a darkening culture. It kind of looks like this. Um, you probably don't know the name Bob Goff, but Bob Goff is a, Bob Goff's a guy you would like. If, you, if you're not a much, of, much of a reader, you like him. I mean, he's just funny. He's a lawyer, but boy, he's different than any lawyer that you'll ever meet. Um, and then he's just fun. And uh, he's wrote a book, you know, Everybody Always. And he's big on the love of God. He's really big on the love of God. And so here's what he said in the book. I think I could quote it, but I'll read it just to make sure. Here's what he said. Sadly, I've spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. Can I say that again? Sadly, Bob says, I've spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And isn't that true? I mean, he would find women taken in adultery and love them. And he would take, you know, tax collectors that everybody else hated and love them. He just engaged with these people. People that we probably today would say, you know, we would just prefer if you didn't come to our church. Too many tattoos, too many piercings, too many issues, too much baggage. And we would just assume maybe perhaps if you went somewhere else. Isn't that sad? But Bob's right. These are people that Jesus would engage. This building is going to be filled today with people. And a lot of them don't have a church home. We're going to have a mission field walk through our doors today. And we've got the opportunity just to love them. Just to love them. Yeah, it's great. James, remember James, the half-brother of Jesus? You know, James, and he wrote in chapter 2, verse 13 of his little epistle, you know, he said, listen to this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He said, you know, instead of judging people, you know, we should love people. We should extend mercy to people because that's what God wants us to do. And, and that's what... America needs. America, 
America just doesn't need a dose of our holy-than-thou judgment. If we're going to see America change, it needs mercy. It needs the love of Jesus. It needs to see little Jesuses everywhere running around the streets of Illinois and, and Chicago and, and New York. Little Jesus running around just loving people. And trust me, that it will be a game changer. There's just no doubt about it. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this age. You know, they say, now I've tried to do a little research so I would talk a little bit about this heart thing and know what I'm talking about. But, but there's a sack of water um, around the heart and the name of that condition was this long. So we're not going to give you the name of this condition. But what happens is when water collects, too much water collects, there's supposed to be a thin layer of water. It lubricates the heart and protects the heart. But when too much water is allowed to collect there, it puts so much pressure on the heart the heart can't do what the heart was designed to do. It puts pressure on it. Well, when Paul comes along and says, do not be conformed, that word means, conform means to be pressed, okay? It means to be um, pressured, pressured in this age. Don't, don't let the pressure of this world, you know, change you, change you, okay? Now, now here's the deal. That's talking about lifestyle. And I am a firm believer that a Christian ought to look different, taste different, smell different, wherever it goes. Amen? I mean, it should be different. Now, not so we can say, look how good we are. But, but again, we should just be different because the Bible says we are different. But greater than our lifestyle should be our love style. We, we should not act like the world when it comes to this love. Because you know what the world does. The world says, don't want any part with you. Don't want need you. You're disenfranchised. You're not good like me. You know, the world does that stuff. We're just not called to do that stuff. We need to be, don't be conformed and pressured to love like the world loves. We should rather be pressured to love like Jesus loved. We should love if you will, from the inside out, the inside out. So that sets us up for Second Chronicles. Now, this is the, uh, this is the mountaintop, this is the epiphany of, of recipe for revival. I mean, this is, this is the one every preacher just can't wait to teach it because it really is so simple and yet it's so powerful. So here's the setup. And I want you to know something. I'm not taking liberty with the word of God today because I know that 2 Chronicles 7:14 was written to a particular group of people, the nation of Israel, for a point in time in their life. I know that. But here's the deal. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. It's all God breathed. And so even though even though we can't claim this particular group and this particular time, the principles are timeless. The principles are timeless. So what we're about to study, we can bring it right into 2023 and right into our hearts and right into our lives. Okay, we can do that. So, so the deal is, you know, Solomon had said, hey, God, we built this great temple and we want to invite you to come and, and live, make that your house. And God said, well, <laughs> I really don't need a house, but, but I, will, I will claim this house uh, for my own. Okay. And, and so then God says this, oh, there's a little bit more Solomon, because, you know, Israel was kind of up and down, 
in and out, hokey pokey Christianity, you know, faith in God. You know, one minute they want to be back in Egypt, next minute they want to you know, be with God. They were kind of like that. So God just gave them a caveat. Here's what he said. So when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, notice it says there, when. See, God is consistent in his judgment, his punishment. Now, I want you to write this down, okay? When God sends judgment, generally speaking, when God sends judgment or what we could perceive as punishment, it's always redemptive. God is saying this not to threaten the Israelites, but to let them know, hey, you know, this is not about you being punished. It's about you being redeemed. And the whole scripture after this is all about redemption. Okay? So the word is, this isn't punishment. This is redemption. So when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. See, God was saying, you know, if y'all choose to walk away from me, these are things you can expect. Not for the purpose of punishing you, but the purpose of bringing you home. So I asked myself, I said, so obviously I think God is doing something pretty big in our culture. Um, I think he's, he's setting us up uh, for a great movement of God, perhaps. So I said, so when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, I wonder if it's any coincidence of the parallel that most of the nation's in severe drought. I mean, could, 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 could God be trying to get our attention? What if it's not global warming, but it's a movement of global redemption? Setting up for redemption. What is it? What if, what if God's sending a big message to the world that says, hey, it's time to come home? What if he's getting attention? What if the drought is not simply global warming? What if it's God speaking? What if, or command the locust to devour the land? I said to myself, I said, so, so what if that was, you know, wildfire? We, oh, the big words always, you know, wildfires. Did you know we're under an air quality alert? You know why that's so? Yeah, half of the eastern Canada is on fire. And that smoke comes down here, okay, and affects us. What if the wild, what if, what if, what if the wildfires were not just simply wildfires? What if God's trying to get our attention? What, what if that, you know, what, or I send pestilence among my people. I know you're going to say, oh, that's COVID. I don't know if it was COVID or not. I just know this. It is strange that, that we live in a culture, in a world, in a nation where, man, we've got the, some of the best health care in the whole world, and yet we can't get our arms around it. My nephew just died, 42 years old. And everything, of all the things that they had and tried, none of them worked. A young man died because medicine didn't have an answer. I believe God did, by the way. He's now in heaven, not worrying about any of this. But what about that? What if, what if this pestilence, you know, God's saying, hey, I want you to know something. I'm still God, and you still need me. Well, all of that is speculation. Did you hear me clearly? All that is speculation. Dwayne did not say, well, God is doing this, and God is doing this, and I'm just speculating. But let me give you something that's not speculation. And that's Galatians and chapter uh, uh, 6, 7, and 8. 
Paul writes and says, hey, listen, don't be misled. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. Okay? Don't, you cannot mock the justice of God. Now, now again, our culture is a place where they are definitely mocking the judgments, justice of God. They definitely are. You know, we, may I be blunt, we, we as a culture, as a nation, you know, you know we're post-Christian. We are a post-Christian nation. Like we joined England and France and Canada. We are that, we have post, we are thumbing our nose at God. And you cannot, Paul said, listen, don't you dare be deceived. You cannot mock the justice of God. It is true. Listen, it is true individually. If you're here today and you're thumbing your nose at God, you need to understand something. You can't mock the justice of God. I'm telling you, church, if we get into a habit of thumbing our nose at God and we do things our way and we think we can live in sin as much as we want to and God's still going to bless us, all right? Or as a nation, if we think our nation can be and do whatever it wants to be and do and thumb its nose at God, now, you can't mock the justice. You just need to know that. There are, listen, there are going to be consequences when you thumb your nose at God. I don't care if it's individually. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care if it's a nation. I don't care if it's the world. You can't thumb your nose at God and not be, have consequences. Here it goes. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant, individually, as a church, as a nation. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that nature. You can't mock the justice of God. As an individual, as a church, and as a nation, as a world. You know, if you live to satisfy your own sinful nature, there's going to be a harvest. And that harvest is going to be decay and death. It's just the consequences when we choose to live that way. So, what's the answer? That's what I love about this scripture. You know, he gives us this big setup, you know. If I send drought, if I send, you know, if I send pestilence, you know, if the world falls apart, there's an answer because the very next verse says this. If my people who are called by my name. Do you see the word if? We don't really get this, but most of the promises of God and the word of God comes with a condition. And so God's going to make this great big promise that I believe we drag right into the 2023 today. He makes this great promise, but it starts with a condition. And the condition is at Nineveh. We're going to talk about Nineveh and Jonah next week. It's not a Nineveh situation. Okay, in this case, the nation of Israel was so sick, just like our, we live in a sick culture today. And, and he didn't say, you know, if the culture, what does he say? If my people, because you see, God left the church intact to make a difference in the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so, again, we have got to regain our equilibrium, and we've got to determine, whoa, 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 God has left us here not to sit in our little holy huddles in these buildings and keep the rules and be what we are. 
He has left us here to make a difference in this culture, in this nation, in our, in our city, in, in this world. He's left us here to make a difference if my people who are called by my name. You know what's amazing? You know what that means? Did you grasp what that means? To be called by his name means to be known by his name. Ooh, that was good. First service didn't get that. To be called by his name is to be known by his name. One of the ones we like to use that probably, again, most of the world doesn't work, but the word Christian. To me, Christian means, you know what Christian means? Christ-like. Christ-like. Jesus follower. Jesus disciple. Those are names. And, and if my people who are called by those names, if you claim those names, that name, how, how wonderfully powerful that is. So, so let's remember what it says in our next teaching point. Okay. Remember, there is no higher calling in this life or the next. To be, to be called a child of God is so, so big. To be child, called a child of God is so big. There's no higher calling. Listen, every time, every time we step down and accept another name or title, okay, we have stepped back. Being a Christian is an honor. Being a child of God is an honor. Being a disciple of Christ is an honor. Being a follower of Jesus is an honor. There's no higher calling than being a child of God. And there's no higher authority than Him. When we submit to this authority, it's like no other authority. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.9 and says this, you know, but you are. Now, now, did you get those words? You are. If you're a Jesus person today, you are a chosen race. If I was taking notes today, I would circle the word chosen. Now, look at me. God chose you. Trust me. Can I just break your heart a little bit? He didn't, choose, he didn't look down from heaven and go, Mm-mm-mm, that person is just so good. You are chosen for one reason. God's amazing grace. And oh, by the way, if God has blessed America, it wasn't because America deserved it. It was because of God's amazing grace. We can't toot a horn because we got no horn to toot. God blessed America with all these wonderful blessings because of grace. And God chose you. God chose you. Wow. Let that soak in. You remember. All right, we're going to play a game of kickball. Everybody line up here. They picked the two coolest kids, the best players, the best athletes. You guys are captains. Pick your teams. And they say, okay, I want him, 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 I want him. And all of a sudden you realize something. You're the last him standing. And it's not a good feeling. Everybody was chosen before you. You're the leftovers. Oh, child of God. You're not a leftover. You're not a... You're not left over. You're starting five. You're starting five. You're the leadoff hitter. You're the point guard. 
God says, I choose you. I, woo, I want you. I want you. And we live in a culture, perhaps you've grown up with this. Nobody wanted you. You're here and you're scarred today because you feel like nobody wanted you. God chose you. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Shoot. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. All right, write that one down. If I was taking notes, I would circle the word royal. See, if you're a Jesus person, if you follow Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a prince or princess in the kingdom of God. Jesus is your king, and you are a prince or princess in his kingdom. Royal. You know, I used to think it was so cool to be, you know, all these guys did in England was to be born in the right family. And, oh, they were princess and princess. Of course, I've now found out that being royal is not a good deal in England. I mean, one guy gave up and said, you can have this. I'm walking away from it. But to be a prince with Jesus as king? To be a princess with Jesus as king? How rich is that? How cool is that? How royal is that? Chosen, royal, holy. We, uh, we mess the word holy up. Again, once again, oh yeah, I'm holy like, you know, like I'm better. No, holy means to be set apart. You, chosen by God, royal priesthood, are holy. You are set apart. You are His. You are his. In fact, then he goes on and says this, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. How amazing is that? You know, 1 John 3, 1. I love this. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love. See what great love the Father. Somebody say Father. Not just the distant God. Not some God who doesn't know you. you see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And just so we wouldn't misunderstand it, John comes along and says, oh, and by the way, you are. Do you believe that today? That this incredible God has just dumped, he's just lavished his love on you. You, you who the world calls unworthy, you who your parents rejected, you who is, are, are no one in the culture you live, you, God dumped his love on you. That we should be called. Listen. Will you quit listening to Satan? Amen. Satan says, you're not a child of God. You're not worthy. Who said I was worthy to be a child of God? Last time I checked, it wasn't about worthiness. It was about grace. And listen, whatever God says about me is what counts. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what God says. And God says... I'm one of his kids. And then he affirms it and says, and so we are. If my people who are called by my name. And then it's a short recipe. It's a good recipe. Two and two. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Well, let's look at that. What does that mean? You know, prayer, prayer is not a uh, wish list. Go ahead and throw that up there for me, bud. There we go. Prayer begins not with a wish list, but a humble declaration. Now, again, are you listening? Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. 
All right? But you know what? 99.9% of the time when there's a call comes in the office and said we need to pray, you know what it is, don't you? It's some kind of urgent health concern. And we should pray for those. But what's amazing is, rarely do we hear in any format, whether it be a small prayer group, whether it be between husband and wife, whatever it might be, rarely do we pray for the lost. Rarely do we pray for kingdom stuff. And when, and when he comes along and says, now, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, he wasn't saying about health concerns. He was talking about the kingdom. He's talking about sin. We are, again, man, man, listen to me. If, if, we are, if we are messed up in our head about the condition of our country, get on your knees and start praying. Get on your knees and start praying. And how should we pray? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, humble themselves, humble themselves, and pray, and pray. So prayer is not a wish list. Not, not, it's a declaration, not of independence from God, but total dependence on God. Tucked away. Tucked away in Ezra. And I think it's, let me get my notes here. Yeah, Ezra chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. This is such an amazing scripture. Ezra was a pastor, a pastor, a prophet. Okay, and so here's just what he says. You know, he says, at the evening offering. Now, Pause. The morning offering was about 9 o'clock in the morning. And the evening offering was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay? It's two. That, I mean, you went to the temple and you did this. And so the evening offering, there are two times, in, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that are just very big events at the evening offering. The first was Elijah. Remember that? So, you know, the, the prophets of Baal do their thing over here. And then finally, the Bible says, and Elijah... At the time of the evening offering. And what happens? The dude calls down fire from heaven. And the altar's consumed. The water's licked up. The sacrifice is taken. And oh my goodness, people go, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. All happened at the time of the evening sacrifice. And the other one was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When Jesus died. God turns the lights out. And Jesus cries out, He lied! Eli, Laba, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. He dies a sacrificial death for our sin. And it happened at the time of the evening sacrifice. That is no coincidence. That is no coincidence. Well, at the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. He was so broken and contrite over the nation of Israel and his own sin. He, he tears his robe. He falls on his knees and spread out his hands to the Lord my God. And then look what he says in verse number 6. And I said, my God, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed. I am ashamed Embarrassed. When was the last time you were ashamed that you violated the Word of God? When's the last time you were ashamed of sin? And see, this is this is why this is important. America can't spell shame anymore. 
And if they're going, if they are going to relearn shame, they've got to see it in the church. We've got to learn again to be ashamed of our sin. I was ashamed and embarrassed. When's the last time you were embarrassed? My wife sometimes says, when somebody does something incredibly stupid, you know, and she'll say, I'm just embarrassed for them. I never really got that until I read this. You know, know, Ezra is embarrassed, but he's embarrassed for his sin, but also for the people's sin. When's the last time you were embarrassed? Have you figured it out yet? America's not embarrassed about anything. They have no problem with the sin that they allow in the culture today. Ezra says, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you. I can't even look up. My God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. That's true in people's lives, but it's true in the church, but it's true in our culture. But see, Ezra was a believer, and this should be our prayer for America. This should be our prayer for America. Oh, God, our country. We are ashamed. We feel their shame. We feel their embarrassment. Because our sins are higher than our heads. Our guilt is as high as the heavens. So if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. This follows that great promise, you know. I know the plans I have for you, One, that one. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God's saying, if we want revival, if, we're, if we are sick and tired of the culture the way it is, then we're going to humbly pray, and we're going to learn, again, the fine art of seeking God, not self. Seeking God. Seeking God. Seek my face. And you will find me when you seek me and search for me with all your heart. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. Revival in America. Revival in the church. Revival in your life. All these things shall be added unto you. Jonathan Edwards said, The chief business of the Christian life is seeking the kingdom. The chief business... Of the Christian life is sinking the kingdom. Now, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, you know, we get this. Let God, now this is seeking God. Let God, let God, let God transform you into a new person. Let God transform you into a new person. Now, now get this, okay? I understand 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Boom! And then I know that means that God gives me a new past. I also know that means God gives me a new future. Because of that, I'll spend eternity with him in heaven. But in between that and that, there's this. There's this. And we need to let God keep transforming us into a new person. 
You know, I've got this little piece of paper I told you about one time. It's the only thing left under my desk. I cleaned my office out one day and took all the paper out that was there, but this one. It's talking about marriage. It says, I do doesn't mean you're done. I do, Jesus, I trust you as Lord and Savior. Your salvation is done. And, Lord, I trust you. I do trust you as Lord and Savior. Your future is secure. But in between, there's a lot of not done yet. It's called sanctification. God puts you here from the day you're saved to the day you die to become more and more like Jesus. That's your chief business. That's my chief business is to become more and more like Christ. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you're going to learn to know something. You know, that they're going to learn God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Oh, God's will is not something to, to reject. It's something to embrace. The finest life is when we start living and believing God's will for us. Okay, um, Jamal, we'll go ahead and go down to verse number 14 again. 14D. There's a couple more verses in there. You can use the worship event app to, to track that. So the second part is seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. This, this is repentance. This is something, again, the church has somehow lost. We don't understand repentance. You know, our teaching point says this. Repentance is more than being sorry. May I say something? You know I'm going to anyway, right? You know, if your prayer life is like this, God, I'm sorry. Next day. God, I'm sorry. Next day. God, I'm sorry. Next day. God, I'm sorry. Trust me, you're not repenting. You're saying I'm sorry. Okay? And here's the deal. Many people think that they repent when it is not the offense, but the penalty that troubles them. I try not to speed. But let's say I did. And let's say the state trooper pulls in behind me and pulls me over. And I say to him authentically, Sir, I am sorry. I was not paying attention to my speed. Now, I'm not sorry I was speeding. I'm sorry the fact that I've got to tell Judy I've got a $275 fine to pay. That's what I'm sorry of. And so in our lives, are you sorry? Are you sorry? Are you sorry only for the penalty? Or are you sorry that you broke God's heart? When you chose, when I choose to sin, are we sorry for the penalty or are we sorry for the sin? And when we're sorry for the sin, then that means we're going to turn. You know, turn from their wicked ways. It means be going this way and turn around this way. It means changing your mind. Let's throw up the next um, repentance slide there, um, Jamal. The repentance is more than just sorrow for the past. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of mind and heart. A new life of denying self and serving the Savior as king and self's place. That's repentance. So, so if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, what is God going to do? Let's read it. Then I, God, then I, God, will hear from heaven. I'll hear their prayers. And will forgive their sin 
and heal their land. Now, I know, I know. I think we can say with absolute certainty, God's a forgiving God. Amen? He's a forgiving God. I love that. I mean, you know, I love, you know, Psalm 37, 23, 24. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And if he stumble and fall, he will not be utterly cast down, because God will pick him up with his hand. I love that. There is no sin in your life bigger than God's grace. There's no sin in your life greater than God's forgiveness. That's awesome news. What's God going to do in America? I don't know. I don't know. I know this. When we obey this scripture, when we choose to obey, when we choose, we're going to pay the price. You know, hamburgers like, what, six to $8 a pound now? You know, again, don't, don't say them dairy farmers are making a killing because it's not them making a killing. Um, they have to buy food for the animals. That's all gone up. And then they're somewhere in the middle. Somebody's making a killing, but it ain't them. Okay, but here's the deal. I'm going to reach a point where, Judy, I have a stronger affection for pork because pork right now is cheaper than beef. And, and if that goes up, and I've watched the farm show, don't ask me why I watch the farm show every Saturday morning. I don't know. But I do know this. They said pork's going up too. First beef, then pork. They didn't mention chicken. Everybody knows pastors love chicken, so chicken is next. Beyond that, I guess we're going to become vegetarians. I guess that's what's going to happen. I will hear from them. I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? What a big question. What a big question. Our last teaching point is this. And I believe this. I'm just a yokel preacher. It is possible. It's possible and perhaps probable that today is the day of ebbing tide. You know what ebbing tide is? Okay, ebbing tide is that few hours when the tide is not going out and it's not going in. It's stationary. It only happens for a few hours every tide cycle. Okay? It's possible and perhaps probable that today is the day of ebbing tide, the day to still experience His grace. God is God. And let me just tell you something right now God wants to send revival. God wants to send revival. God wants to send national revival. God wants to see this country. God wants to see this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's desire. He's not willing that any should perish. The scripture we, we skipped this morning. He's not willing that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. It's his desire. The day to still experience his grace and avert his judgment. Don't mock the justice of God. When you thumb your nose at God, there are going to be consequences. Whether it's individually, for churches, or for the world or the nation. There are always consequences. So there you go. You know, sometimes you, I know, I know, I know. Sometimes I finish a message and you go, what are we supposed to do with that, Dwayne? Thank you for the message. It was kind of cute. Hey, you had a couple of good illustrations. The title was cute. You know, that's all. What am I going to do with this? Well, you don't have to worry about that today. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Would you bow your heads, please? There you go. That's it. That's it. I tell you, you know, this is one of those times I'm going to do something weird. The song today is, is just a good old hymn, I Surrender All. But I don't want you to stand. You, the altar's open. Feel free to come to the altar. But I want you to stay seated. And I want you just to sing and listen to the words. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Maybe you need to pray rather than sing. Maybe you just need to listen to the voices around. But regardless, if you want to come, the altar's open. I'll be standing down front. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Thank you, Father, for this promise. Have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.